Hello, you are listening to the Drug Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, I didn't give you a name. No. Spencer, the Royale Runaway Church. Yeah. That fits the yeah. James Bond theme. Yeah. And uh, joining us today, a lover of James Bond, I assume, Ash from the You Read This Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Very well. Yes, I'm, well, I was a lover of the films as a child and sort of, a, a, a continue to love them a bit guiltily. Books, kind of. But having reread them for this, I'm I'm not really sure. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they are um, quite well, gross. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit gross. <laughs> well, before we even get into the book, I feel like James Bond definitely hits different overseas than it does here. So, yeah. one, what is the perception of James Bond in England for, you know, because in America, he's just kind of like a badass spy. But I feel like Americans like James Bond movies, but we don't. I feel like England after World War II kind of needed a hero, especially, um, I would say, yeah, probably starting in the 50s, and I would imagine more so afterwards, they kind of were looking for the masculine hero figure for England, so I feel like that probably hits more over there than it does us. So what is the perception of James Bond in England? Uh, is he more popular, you think, than in the U.S.? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think you're right. I think also England needed a sex symbol, crucially, because mm-hmm. there's nothing really that sexy about English heroes. Um, no. You know, since, I, I would say since about Shakespeare time, no no one's really been convincingly sexy as an English actor. No. <laughs> so I think, I think like Sean Connery as James Bond was, was pretty unprecedented as, an, as a kind of English star, because he's a very Hollywood looking. Yeah. And 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 that kind of Hollywood budget production level films, you know, if you if you take away the accent, that there's really nothing English about them. So I, th- I think that's part of the popularity of the films. Then now I think probably the status of James Bond is is similar to where it is everywhere, which is slightly embarrassing um, and completely unacceptable. You know, in yeah. in a bit of a character crisis, like um, you know, how on earth do we? MGM must be just thinking, how do we salvage this very profitable franchise? Because nothing about it is acceptable by uh, by, <laughs> by today's <laughs> no. uh, standings. Not not he's he's not he's not very good with women. Racially, he's been incredibly dubious for a long time. Yes, um, it's like every every possible mark he's he's uh, crossed. So, but but you're right. He's a bit of a national symbol, unlike obviously anywhere else. He, he is he is the English. Well, I was going to say born, but it's kind of, I suppose born is a bit later, isn't it? I don't know who who's the quintessential American hero. Maybe Indiana Jones. He's the English Indiana Jones. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That works. Yeah. Over here, Sean Connery is often considered the best Bond of all time, mm. but he's a Scotsman. Does that yeah. does that throw any uh, wrenches into the gears there over in England? See, I just figured it is as long as it's not American, they don't care. They don't care as long as it's not American <laughs> with a bad accent. It could maybe even be like French Canadian. Well, like... well, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think basically the English just claimed Sean Connery. Um, so I, I think it caused problems for Sean Connery because yeah. he was a very proud Scot. Although, as lo- I have to say on behalf of lots of Scottish people, since I'm currently living there, uh, he, di- he didn't love Scotland enough to uh, not move to the Bahamas or wherever he ended up. Yeah. But and and I think he accepted a knighthood as well, which is seen as a very un-Scottish move. I was going to ask you about that off-air. When it comes to being knighted, I didn't know foreigners could be knighted. And I mean, even though Scotland's connected, it's still a foreign country. I didn't know what it the what the rules on that are. 
I think I think if you're in the United Kingdom, you can be knighted, and maybe if you're in the Commonwealth, so it maybe uh, I don't know what. Where, Has there what ever been like. an American who was knighted? No, that seems like it might be a, a nice story in itself. You know, the American who got knighted. Yeah. Sounds not, like a Disney movie. Not counting Charles Barkley, because he knighted himself. What? <laughs> I don't think he counts. Um, <laughs> so how junk was he when he probably did that? <laughs> I don't know. If you just start, like I said, if you just start calling yourself sir, or even Mr. Like Mr. T, yeah. I mean, you can't say, like if you become famous, you can't say, no, that's not your name. Maybe he just fell on the sword. Yeah. <laughs> like we were talking off air, we didn't. Neither of us really read up on the biography of Ian Fleming, but he was in the Naval mm. Intelligence Division. So the James Bond story, which is why I think they became so popular, is because they have that element of realism that yeah. only someone, it, even when you read in Casino Royale's first novel, you can see that in the novel that is like, well, this seems like somebody who actually experienced how things work. How much of that he fudged and kind of added stuff to him, I would imagine he would add a you know, just more fun elements to make it more readable. But he, uh, even like the technical Tits. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were uh, pretty entertaining. Just just going off before we even go into it, what was your rating of Casino Royale? Because I said when I first started it, I had trouble getting into it because I was just kind of bored. But then I ended up really liking the novel, yeah. minus like the misogyny and the, like you said, the rapey James <laughs> Bond tropes that apparently are still you could have those i don't know because he's cool i guess it's yeah. fine uh if you have daniel craig james bond he's kind of buff so the, i guess that's okay if you're kind of a creep but he in the actual original casino royale he had a scar on his face and i just got more of a psychopath vibe from him than a suave martini drinking gentleman yeah, definitely, like, um, just, like, a couple small things away from just c- becoming completely unhinged. Yeah. Like, at any moment. And then, obviously, the big torture scene in the novel, we both discussed off yeah. air, from the movie Casino, the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, because I think they did two of those. Well, this is what, the like, licensing was, I think it's, like, Eon Productions or something like that has the licensing for uh, James Bond, and they did all the movies, but Casino Royale, which is his first novel, they didn't have the rights to. So I think that was like a TV show, and I'm not sure if that was a different was, movie. There's but... been like 20-something uh, movies, right? 24, 26, And there's only like, like 14 uh, novels. Yeah, we had a couple so... repeats. They had that... Well, t- famously, they made Thunderbolt twice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, Casino Royale was made as a spoof in 1967 or so, so like in the height of Bond pandemonium, when it was a new hit and Sean Connery was the sexiest... Uh, actor on earth I think so about five years after the first one um, and it's this big sort of mad 60s movie with like every 60s actor in it it's like David Niven Woody Allen Ursula Andress from Doctor No Orson Welles is in it how did they and pull they that off? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, it's days. insane. But if you think about it, there's a few films in the 60s that are like that, that these just massive marquee films that just stink of acid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, I think the, I think the, the joke, it's years since I've seen it, but the, the joke is that everyone is James Bond or variations of James Bond. Mm. Um, so Woody Allen is Jimmy Bond. <laughs> um David Niven is like the typical English James Bond, but then a lot of the like Ursula Andress, you know, it's just yeah, it's a big sort of like knockabout thing. I did I'd forgotten about that about the rights. That's probably yeah. So they they had the rights to all of the other books, but not Casino Royale. So they only just well, only just two thousand and six yeah. got around to it. Damn, it was that old? Yeah, man, yeah. I'm, I'm getting old then. 
Seems like that was just out recently. Because, uh, from what I remember, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. That one seemed pretty faithful for, to the novel, which I was surprised. Like, with the torture scene, yeah. neither of us actually thought that was in the original novel. Yeah, I just thought that was something for the movie. Yeah, that seemed like that was very brutal, and I didn't think that was going to be in the novel. And now I'm kind of wondering, did Ian Fleming never go through something yeah. similar? Because that sounded terrible, and it was uh, described very in a very cringe-inducing way. Yeah. I was like, oh. Um, I, th- I think that scene is uh, pretty much uh, Ian Fleming's idea of a nice night in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said he was a tanky um, gentleman. I did not read up on any of that, so I don't know what his uh, yeah, he, sexual fantasies were, per se. He was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, was, he was well into that kind of stuff. It's funny, I think on like, like he describes Le Chiffre as flagellant on like the first page. And it just, it does have that kind of weird stuff they want to do, you know. Can you repeat that? You turned into a robot there. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I said uh, on, on about the first page, he describes, um, who does he describe? Le Chiffre as flagellant. <laughs> um, and... I was just saying that it has all of the kind of whiff of a first novel in which a writer just sort of writes down all the stuff he'd like to do, you know, before yeah, he yeah, doesn't see that just sort of puts down his fantasies. And I think he, he as good as admitted that he said of his early ones that they were adolescent tribe, which is maybe a bit harsh, but, um, and then he also said, he, he said something like it was, uh, oh, I don't know, but he was, he was very down on it. And um, you mentioned Chandler earlier. I'm not sure if we were recording by then. But he, if you've heard that amazing interview between um, Chandler and Fleming on Chandler's 70th, you can I tell Fleming. I haven't that out yet. Oh, it's great. It's well worth a watch. They're both pissed. And uh, <laughs> Fleming's sort of playing the interviewer, but you can tell he he considers himself the, the far inferior writer. I noticed, um, I actually asked in that uh, classic literature group we're in before I read Casino Royale what people's opinions on... Uh, mm. I don't remember if I asked if it was between him and Chandler, but that's what ended up coming up was uh, Chandler was the far superior writer to Ian Fleming, and uh, a lot of people were either very harsh on the James Bond novels, saying they're very boring, or they were, you know, the greatest novels. I think it's more of a genre thing people like, because that is like the first real spy thrillers that I think came out. But reading this, like, when I went into it, the first few chapters, I was like, ah, like I said, I was kind of bored with it. And then we got into, like, the Bacharach talk and stuff. But it actually did pick up. And I didn't think, because me and Spencer were talking before, where when we read The Big Sleep, Chandler, where I thought his writing was better, there were times where I kind of got a little bit lost in what he was talking about versus Ian Fleming, where everything's very direct and yeah. this is what's happening. I would like a little more beauty to the language he used. I still in, I enjoyed the storytelling. Like, I thought he did a decent job... Uh, moving the story forward, though I did think it was a little strange that he had the big climax of the torture scene, and then the story kind of really drops off into just what James Bond's doing as he's recovering and stuff. Yeah. Like, there wasn't really any action after that, so that was kind of... A, but again, first novel, I could kind of see maybe... Uh, mm. I forget who it was, but a writer friend... Actually, it might have been the uh, the guy who wrote the other James Bond books. Yeah, Raymond Benson. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase off of this here. I'll just read this. The author Raymond Benson, who later wrote a series of Bond novels, noted that Fleming's books fall into two stylistic periods. Those books written between 53 and 60 tend to concentrate on mood, which I definitely got with the Casino Royale, character development and plot advancement, while those released between 61 and 66 incorporate more detail and imagery. 
Uh, Benson argues that Fleming had become a master storyteller by the time he wrote Thunderball in 1961. I haven't read any of the other James Bond. Yeah. I actually read some of Benson's Bond novels when I was a kid, mm. which I didn't know were different from me yeah. and Fleming's because I was like seven years old or something. Which Probably not appropriate to read at that age if it, if it had the same amount of uh, yeah. lady, lady romancing, we'll put it. Um, but... I thought that was interesting uh, that he was able to progress because some of those writers back then they kind of stayed the same throughout their career. That or that because I was one that was one and two because like other writers we've read around that time like uh like H P Lovecraft and um, uh, the Conan guy like Robert E Howard Robert E Howard because they kind of they always had like their kind of rough and shady parts of their stories too but it always seemed like. It got worse. Worse it? As, as, like, you know, as as more stories came out, they got more kind of blunt and mm. stuff. And I was, like, so I wonder, like, with the, uh... Well, they were Depression-era pulp writers versus, uh... Because we both were under the impression that the Bond first novel was written in men's magazines. I, I yeah. was not able to corroborate okay. that. So I don't think it was. I think that was just his first novel. Mm. So, um... So yeah, that's just the rumor that I that yeah. I always heard. But I don't I don't know how uh, he because like I said I didn't read his biography or anything so I don't know how he actually got into writing novels outside of the service so uh, that'd be interesting to dive into actually. But yeah, so the Casino Royale though you start with that which like I said I wouldn't say it was the best kind of spy novel I've even read in my in my time but I would read more. So if he it does progress as a writer. Versus some other writers of the period. And I can't judge Raymond Chandler because we only read The Big Sleep. Yeah. So I don't know if he got better as a writer. Like Robert D. Howard, for you brought him up. His writing seemed pretty much the same throughout yeah. all those stories we read. So the fact that uh, Ian Fleming was able to improve as a storyteller specifically, that makes me kind of want to read his future work to see how the James Bond stories uh, transform from maybe... I don't know if they're all misogynistic yeah. like that one. Again, it was 50s Britain, so that's... I mean, I, I only go off the Austin Powers character yeah. characters, like, but uh, I would imagine that was a kind of a, in the 50s would probably be more misogynistic. I would yeah. think the 70s were probably more of like a hippie time, weren't they? Uh, yeah, well, the, it's the hippie decade. I'm not sure about Master Storyteller, to go back to that, that bit, but they definitely do um, improve. I think it's interesting that you bring up the pulp writers, because I think a lot of them started with, like, raw talent, like Chandler. Mm-hmm. Um you know, people who could have been poets. Like he was, he was a frustrated poet, and then found himself writing crime stories, and just was had a genius for it. Whereas I think Ian Fleming hadn't really thought about writing. Wrote his first novel in about two months in Jamaica, <laughs> basically as a retired man. So it's essentially like just a, a hobby. Yeah. yeah. Um, he even he thought it was trash, but then he instead of sort of being all youth and talent, he. Um, he just stuck with it and and kind of ground out his craft kind of thing. Well, that gives us hope, right? We could, uh, <laughs> sl- you know, well, yeah. grind away <laughs> at shittily written fiction until we get a character that's very popular <laughs> for no reason. We just and we might it. be we might be okay for like the last like fifteen to twenty years of our life. We might get to <laughs> if if I'm at any point in my life if I'm sitting in Jamaica on the yeah. beach writing a novel, I'm happy. Like that's awesome. <laughs> Of course, I... Well, exactly. If you start from Paradise, how good is your novel going to be? <laughs> yeah. You think about all the starving artists, and then here's Ian Fleming on the beach, probably sipping fancy drinks. Yeah. With with, with someone's wife who he's banging. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely, because you brought up how the um, 
some of the pulp writers like Lovecraft, Chandler, they were more literary. Even like Robert E. Howard, he's writing fanciful, you know, fantastic Conan adventures. Yeah. But it was very literary the way he was writing. I didn't get that from the James no. Bond novel at all. That wasn't a very, no. uh, not very poetic, not a, not a lot of metaphors. Uh, like I said, the language was pretty basic, more along the lines of maybe even below a Hemingway as far as the use of like uh, just a bigger vocabulary or imagery. But um, as far as just like a storytelling perspective, I felt like maybe it wouldn't compare to stories now necessarily, mm. but it, it it did well enough that you were interested in the story throughout. Well, I was going to say, like, uh, one of the things I heard about what, uh, you know, made Bond so popular in the in the books and the movies is that, uh, uh, like, where they take place. The locations. And especially since back then, like, you had, you know, that could be the first time anybody's ever seen any of the, these things. Mm-hmm. To where, like, now you can just go, you know, you can just Google, like, yeah. you know the Casino Royale or wherever it's at, like, you know what I mean? And get, like, a virtual tour or whatever. It takes some of that, like, mysticism, like, you know, out, like, out of it. Well, when I read this, I got this strong impression that Fleming was kind of the creator of the Eastern, uh, European, Mediterranean, and even Italian villain tropes that we have yeah. in movies now. Like, the either like the homosexual or asexual villain is another trope I think could be attributed to the Bond stories because uh, before that I'd never really noticed those in movies or anything. But because the, like, the Bond villains, even just from the movies and then what we read in Casino Royales, it's always like kind of more of a feminine kind of guy. Yeah. And again, usually like Middle East or uh, Eastern European or something like that. And uh, it's just, it's pretty interesting to see how that trope is not really broken. Even in movies now, the bad guy always has to have, at, at the very least, the English accent. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> it's like, that's the, the height of evil is you have to have a, 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 a posh English accent or something like that. I, I don't know why. And then obviously, if you're like, you know, Italian or something, then you're really in trouble. You're, you're the ultimate. Yeah, I think you're guy. absolutely right. Yeah. There's uh, the, every villain in a Bond thing, uh, a Bond film has to have a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, He's from somewhere foreign. He's got a hook. He's lost an eye. He's <laughs> has a cat. He's got has a cat. He's got a birthmark. Yeah, he's got a cat. Funnily enough, with the film, they they added a thing. Lashifra's bleeds from the eye, which he doesn't in the book. Um, I actually really like that. I thought that uh, I forget mm. that. I always forget that guy's name. He's a really good actor that played him. Mads Mikkelsen. That there you go. I thought he did a really good job in that because when I read the book, I didn't actually get the. Like, I didn't picture that guy as the character, but I really liked his portrayal mm. of that, that role. And like I said, the not, the the most recent uh, Casino Royale Bond movie followed the book pretty closely. Uh, but I think the changes they did make were actually beneficial to the story. Yeah. Like, when Bond's getting tortured and he talks about the guy scratching his balls. Yeah. Like, that just yeah. gave it more yeah. of an entertainment yeah. feel versus just, like, complete and utter destruction <laughs> yeah. of a man's in nether regions. <laughs> like, that's very grim. But he can at least have a little bit... Of uh, stoicism in there, you feel a little better about what's happening. Uh, it's funny how, how clear he wants to make it in the book that his balls are fine. <laughs> he, he clearly can't quite say your testicles are intact. He has Bond worry about his impotence, which is surprisingly deep for a Bond film. But then the doctor is like, yeah, yeah, you should make a full recovery. And it's almost like he leans in and raises his eyebrows, like, you know, <laughs> full <laughs> recovery. <laughs> it's very ham-fisted. Don't say, worry, Rita. Well, he couldn't see down there either. When yeah. he was in the hospital, they had like a tarp yeah. so he yeah. couldn't see his nether regions. 
Well, then say, like, uh, you know, you talked about, like, you know, after the big torture scene, it kind of goes on to this, like, like just this kind of flat kind of... But, like, that's basically what the rest of the, the book was about, was basically Bond's balls and asshole healing <laughs> 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 up. Um, you know, don't you, when you see that in the film, that scene is too weird to be, like approved by there's no way that came up in a well, script writing session no well, that it, is from a fucked up novelist 100 <laughs> well like and we were talking about off air a couple of days ago like because like in the in the in the movie it's just like really thick tied up like rope, rope. but in like in, in the book it's like a it's traption like you have to like hit a lever or like step on something it was like a thing that beats curtains or rugs or something i kind of just got a flash the of carpet the, beater yeah 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 like i i am i'm Mediterranean <laughs> carpet beater, which is just this huge, cumbersome <laughs> ball smasher, apparently. I was almost thinking of something that, like, would be on the end of, uh, uh, Max always sunny in Philadelphia's bike. <laughs> kind of. A giant dildo. Can you yeah. imagine being Ian Fleming's maid and reading that book and then thinking, fucking hell, I clean that guy's carpet beater. <laughs> I would probably move. I'd probably get another job. Like, I wouldn't want to work for him anymore. That'd be very disturbing. Yeah, because once you read that, you're like, I don't know. Who's who's thinking of this kind of stuff? But if he's doing that for fun, which he might have been. I yeah, did... and he never, like, reflects on it, does he? He never sort of thinks, that was weird. Like, why didn't he try and, why didn't he try and take my thumbs off or break my kneecaps or dangle me over a pool of crocodiles or, you know, well, let's go... straight to the balls. Let's go in the time machine here. If you're reading this in 1953, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's extra disturbing because what fiction or movies or anything at the time were depicting having your testicles smashed over and over for the period of one hour. And what I thought was really disturbing personally was how he described how it eventually turns into pleasure yeah. when you're getting mm. tortured like that. So if you stick it out, it'll eventually feel good. And um, yeah, and then it'll go bad again. Yeah. But I was like, that is, uh, that seems like something well, from experience. Like that's <laughs> the only way you would know that. Well, then he gets really. Well, what's even more crass is he says that he says that he reports that as the testimony of people who've been tortured in Japanese POW camps, doesn't he? Yeah. Like he goes like, oh yeah, I, Bond thought to himself, yeah, Dicky, who was in the Japanese POW camp, said, yeah, it's bad at first, but then it starts to get sexy. Like, <laughs> And why was Does he having it? that conversation with a guy? That's weird, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why was Bond talking about that with somebody? Yeah, he was debriefing him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that whole scene, which I wasn't really expecting, bled into him in the hospital and the whole thing about being impotent or sterile or not even be able to have sex again, basically. That was like a big deal to Ian Fleming, apparently, was to make sure Bond can do it again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, is he really? Because if you can't, you're not a man anymore. So, again, with the very uh, the masculine nature of uh, the Bond franchise, I guess, if he can't have sex, he's just not a stone cold killer anymore. He might as well just retire. And then we go into the whole scene with the lady who immediately before he even meets her calls her a bitch. Yeah. Which I thought was strange because... Usually, you at least meet somebody before you would uh, have such a harsh judgment of them. But he did not like the lady. And then, of course, because she was beautiful, he immediately is smitten, but also does not want to really listen to her. And uh, 
Doesn't seem like a guy I'd want to hang out with, really. His relationship with her turns on a dime. <laughs> so did, like, it's all lovey-dovey. And, like, as soon as she does something that, like, that he just doesn't like, like, answers wrong or looks a weird way, it just turns. And then it just turns again real quick yeah. to the, to the lovey-dovey stuff again. Well, spoiler alert for somebody who's uh, not read or watched the movie. She ends up dying because she's a double agent. And, uh... I like how pretty much the whole summation of the novel is, eh, fuck that bitch. Like, that was the whole, like, after he wanted to marry her, he was in love with her, because apparently he always falls in love with these ladies, and they die, so he probably shouldn't do that anymore. But, uh, his, the whole thing was, uh, well, she was kind of a bitch anyway, so don't, she sucked. Double agent. Double agent, yeah, she, she had it coming. So that, that was a little weird. Uh, I, that whole, the whole, it's almost, like, kind of was written like epilogue, like, it was after the fact, because the... The whole adventure was done, and then they just go to, like, a remote island for vacation, and then they're uh, almost like a honeymoon, like they're going to get married at some point, and then they just, everything just falls apart because he catches her on the phone. She's uh, secretly talking yeah, on the phone. Yeah, and then he goes, psycho-possessive boyfriend on her. He, he is very zero to 60. He goes from calling her a bitch to wanting to shag her, to <laughs> not wanting to shag her because it's unprofessional, to running away with, oh no, calling her a bitch again for getting kidnapped, then running away with her. About to propose marriage to her, thinking she's a bitch again, loving her, wasn't there letting her die, what? and then the last, the last word of the novel is bitch. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. He pretty much says "fuck that bitch" at the end of the novel. I was like, "What? Yeah. Okay, that's pretty much the tone." I also thought it was a little strange because I think there's one scene when the bad guys capture her, they put her skirt up over her head and like yeah. wrap her up or tie her up or something. And Bond sees this and it immediately feels a twinge in his legs. Uh, a little bit of erotic feeling seeing this lady in this uh, position. Well, you remember at first before, like right before that, he's like, like, because uh, it takes a while for her to come back. And he's like, uh, if she gets kidnapped, like, <laughs> fuck her. Like, but then, but then he goes to save her anyway. I don't know. Bond's a little bit of a creep. He'll save her as long as she's like in bondage i think that's i think that's fleming coming through the truth that's fleming. what i yeah. got he seemed yeah. to enjoy that kind of thing <laughs> which i mean that makes more sense of like if in the books it's like because you know in the movies there's always like these elaborate torture traps yeah. and like and things so if, so if they do that in the books too like that made that that makes a whole little bit more sense now yeah then he yeah. flicks rubber bands at his taint <laughs> yeah like, really does he like that seems a little harsh um, he must have been a nightmare on set, just <laughs> turning up to the new film. And, and yeah, it's a really good scene. But do you think he should be like tied up and you know <laughs> having his nipples slightly like, tweezed this, this with electric? Not, where are not, the jumper cables? Not enough clamps. Yeah. Not yeah, enough no, clamps. Practice on me. I'll show you what I mean. <laughs> he goes and sits. No, 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 no. This is not how you react when somebody hits you in the the testicles with a giant rope. You, move out of the way. Here, let me show you. Swing it your... harder. <laughs> Where's your erection? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I uh, that's just kind of that's that's a little bit icky. <laughs> well, then, then that's like a, like, right before he gets ready to pass out, he describes like the huge pool of blood that just is keep on growing from underneath yeah. of him. Like seems like a little more damage than you would think. I never had my no, genitals. no. His balls are totally fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he recovered within three weeks or whatever. He was uh. His balls bounced back. Right back. <laughs> Surprisingly uh, high bar of Ian Fleming, because he, he describes for a very long section about Bond worrying about not being able to have sex again. And then when Bond does have sex to, you know, reinvigorate his manhood, he uh, 
just glosses over it. He doesn't actually describe. I thought he was going to have a, a, a hot sex scene, but he didn't. Well, because uh, it just would have been like a normal sex scene. Which would be very vanilla for yeah. him. Yeah, Fleming yeah. probably would have been bored with that. I'm, no, I'm sure if they were like held hostage in like a, yeah. in like a cell somewhere that where, would they, be where they were rats or something. Tie her up, yeah. No, just a regular sex scene. And then he laid on top of her and wiggled around. <laughs> and then he came to fruition and, and next scene. Um, if Vesper hadn't killed herself, there was a matter of weeks before Bond suggested bringing in a German with a whip into the bedroom. <laughs> That makes I brought me... the Shifra back just to spice things up. He's fine. <laughs> have you re- uh, have you read any of the uh, following James Bond novels? Because I'm very interested to see how these themes come up in those novels as well. <laughs> well, I don't think they go away, but this one is pretty pretty <laughs> right outrageous. off the bat. Yeah, um, yeah, I have read them years ago, and I, I do remember they do get better. They they do like no, are they, they like smooth it out? Do mm. they do they ever like uh, is there any like callback or or anything in between like the novels? Because I know like the movies, one of the big things are like the debates are like, are they all the same Bond? Are they different Bonds? Mm. Like you know what I mean? But I, I'd imagine in, in the novels they're all the same, same guy. But I don't know yeah. if they had any like progressing like like you know or anything carried over from like you know from story to story. I'm trying to remember if I think Vespa gets mentioned at some point. Um, I mean, the crew is the, yeah. like, you know, his, his MI5 team are the same. Um, they recur. Q only gets, uh, Q section gets a, a brief mention in this one, but I don't think we meet No, Q. we just have M. Uh, we just have M. Um, but it's definitely one James Bond. It's not, it's not multiple double O agents, like the parody film. Funny <laughs> you mentioned Austin Powers. It's watching the Bond films, it, you wonder why anyone thought you'd need to make a parody. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're already outrageous parodies of spy films. Ridiculous <laughs> yeah. to begin with. Yeah. Personally, I think the James Bond era, like James Bond franchise took off so well was because one, the names are cool. Yeah. Like even the lady names like Vesper, like that's just kind of a cool name. Like you don't hear the name like that. So he was good at coming up with names and then just the, uh, you know, the whole 007 mythos that he explains immediately, because obviously there could be other double O's. Yeah. You just become a double O by killing a couple people. So it seemed very easy. Yeah. Just stat- <laughs> he just killed a Japanese guy in New York. Oh, here you go. You're double O now. And one of them was just a number cruncher. It's like he didn't <laughs> yeah. fight him. He just shot him through a window. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's there must be so many people in prison. They were double O's. <laughs> um, just but DUIs. If it, but if he's double O seven, how many are there? That's mm. one thing I would like to see more. I mean, I'm sure there's very shitty fan fiction out there that goes into that, but it's obviously double O zero through six. I want triple O. That's what we need. Triple the original. Triple the original Bond. It's just Ian Fleming. It's just some old guy. Just... It's just it's just Ian Fleming in Jamaica whipping somebody's testicles. <laughs> triple O's testicles. Oh, maybe triple O has three testicles. Yeah, that is... that's where it started. Just to go on to names, though, it's funny how, like, this is the first Bond girl, and she's called Vespa Lind. You're right. Pretty cool name. Soon we get to Pussy Galore. That's a better name. (laughs) That's That's a classy name, yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't name your kid Pussy Galore... I mean, that's just... It's like he just sat down and went, I need a synonym for, like, (laughs) an excess of or surplus minge. (laughs) You have too much... Like, far too much vagina. Way too much. Yeah, that's that's literally like one step away from Anita Cox. <laughs> like, that's yeah. not very far away. Yeah. 
What's your name, you ass? This is stupid. Yeah, when when you get to Pussy Glory, that's probably the height of uh, parody for the Bond franchise. Oh, Octopussy mm. no. too. I don't know why that name came about. No, it's just—is is that just a one name like a share, or is it like first name Pussy, last name Galore? I think it's Pussy Galore. Ooh. So your first name's Pussy. Maybe yeah. it's short for something like uh, Pussyfa <laughs> or something. I don't know. Mister and Mrs. Galore, you've had a beautiful baby girl. <laughs> what would you like to call her? <laughs> 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 I uh, um I feel like if I read what what's novel is that from? Which one was Pussy Galore? Uh Goldfinger. Goldfinger, which is a great one too. Mm. Well actually Goldfinger, wasn't that uh one of Ian Fleming's operations that he was in? That was Golden Eye. Golden um, Eye. Yeah. Not to be confused yeah. with Brown Eye. That's <laughs> a different one. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the details of it, but um uh you you're right what you're saying earlier is is you know, his his knowledge of naval intelligence that kind of thing and also i think he worked with the cia or just did sort of co-op missions with them so obviously the americans play a part in this one with felix and well let me ask you this who is Mm. more of a badass ian fleming or christopher lee oh christopher lee definitely i i don't think really ian fleming's much of a badass at all like i think he's a kinky bastard up he's muted you're frozen uh-oh. He's just speaking into the wind. Mm. Uh, you froze. Can't hear you. It's all right. I got it. Okay, now you're good. <laughs> I stopped. Okay. Um, <laughs> we just see your mouth moving, yeah. but no words are coming out. Yeah, I know. It happened earlier with you guys where yeah. I was just like, I'll just wait it just, out. I'll just smile and nod. <laughs> yeah, just smile and nod, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Great point. Now here's the something next thing I say. <laughs> yeah. Or I'll just repeat what you just said. Yeah, like, oh, yeah another thing. <laughs> Another thing, is a p- pussy galore hilarious <laughs> name? <laughs> uh, no, Chris, Chris, I mean, not to discredit Ian Fleming's service, but he, he worked behind a desk, I think, for most, most mm. of his time. It's not very and, exciting. Um, no, and we can't forget that he wrote his his novels effectively in retirement. Uh, Christopher Lee's definitely more of a badass. Christopher Lee's did, did extraordinary strange things throughout his life he also did, did death metal i believe his metal album yeah which is badass i think he released an album like in his 80s i don't know he, i mean yeah, i don't know how he old he was when he died but yeah he also i i remember um in lord of the rings when i believe mm. he get he's supposed to get stabbed in the back and peter jackson's like okay and then you gotta scream and he's like actually when you stab somebody in the back they don't scream they they gasp they <gasps> and, and he describes how the air comes out of your lungs and then peter jackson's like i'm gonna believe you here i'm just gonna let you that, that's oh, you would know so i'm just gonna you do you. experience i think you would know better than i so go ahead you you do i what believe you, you dracula <laughs> <laughs> complete sidebar on uh uh, Christopher Lee, he does a really good reading of which you can find on YouTube of the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, because there's uh three of my personal favorites readings of Edgar Allan Poe's uh, The Raven would be Christopher Lee. Actually, my number one is James Earl Jones. That's a very good one. And then there's also uh, Christopher Walken, which actually Ooh. is pretty good. Because mm. it's another sidebar, really going off track. I saw that Christopher Walken starred in an Irish movie. Within the last 10 years, I believe, so older Christopher Walken, extra Christopher yeah. Walken, and he kind of does an Irish accent. <laughs> oh, if, like, if you were, <laughs> if an Irish man 
is like had Irish parents but was born in New York. <laughs> it was very bizarre. I don't know the name of that movie, but it's worth looking up. I just watched the clips on YouTube, but it was really funny. It was like Christopher Walken doing an Irish accent, and it wasn't well at all. Now, when he reads, reads The Raven, is he full, like, Christopher Walken as... Yeah, but when it comes, comes to, like... What's riding, riding, rattling at my door? <laughs> with with the poetry style, it actually works, which I, I thought was surprising. Um, So I kind of want him to just go through, like, all Shakespeare sonnets <laughs> and everything. Like, I just want a whole thing before Christopher Walken dies of him uh, doing those. But yeah, Christopher Lee's Raven... Was was very well done. Um, also, his uh, Dylan Thomas Rage Against the Light was uh, Do Not Go Gentle Into the Night was a very good reading as well. Um, so, we're about 40 minutes in. James Bond, what do you give it? I give it, I'll be generous, I'll say four out of five stars. Yeah, there. yeah. I I mean, I want to check out the next, you know, yeah. the next novel in the series. So Maybe, Honestly, it'd be more of a three and a half probably, but I'll give it a solid four because I did enjoy the story. Um it wasn't as misogynistic as like, I openly thought it, as, as I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously there, but uh, and then because uh, this takes place in like France, doesn't it? Mostly, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah, because the Franks. So I didn't like you. Don't really get too many um, like any kind of people of color or anything. So I don't know if Ian Fleming had a lot of racism elements, kind of like uh, you know, like uh, Howard or some yeah. of the other things we've read. So I, I can't I can't judge the Bond series on that, but. Uh, I think it was a solid story. It was entertaining enough. Especially considering being like the the first thing that he wrote, probably. Yeah, the you first know. novels. That, that was, it was, obviously, it's, it stood the test of time again, as we discussed. I don't know how they keep making James Bond yeah. movies uh, with the current <laughs> lens. Uh, I suspect we're about to see a complete change. Like, it, it's, I think... I don't want to sound cliche, but I think maybe time's up on James Bond. Well, do you... <laughs> like, I, They've been edging towards an acceptable bond for a few years, yeah. and I think with this new one that's been long delayed, I think they've done a complete overhaul of like get more women in there that aren't just sex objects, yeah, and also get more women involved in making the film. Um, and the so women, I, I think, it'll probably change a lot. Yeah, the women always tend to be the downfall too, like they're yeah. the, the catalyst for mm. disaster in every James Bond movie. I would like to see that change too, mm. personally. I mm. still, I honestly, I like the idea of Idris Elba as James Bond. Yeah. I think that would be a cool change. Um, and see, over on the other side of the pond, do they, uh, do people get upset at the idea of there being like, like the female, like the Jenny Bond? Because I know, like, I talk to people over here and they're just like, fuck that, that's dumb. And I'm just like, first of all, like. It's actually like Emily Blunt or something doing to James yeah. Bond. I mean, I could kind of get those criticisms just because of the source material, but it, you, I mean, you can't change it. It doesn't have to be. It's not like it's, it's, oh, he has to be a, a, a black-haired, white Englishman. Yeah. I mean, even if you just keep him as an Englishman, it's fine. But like I said, like Idris Elba. Like that. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, mm. I wouldn't even... And the be- thing is, I think I think most people have quite bought, bought into the idea of it being a code name. You know? It yeah. makes sense. After how many movies and books and stuff came out, he could just easily be... 007 James Bond is just the name. It's not a person. So you could have a Jane Bond, technically... I think, I mean, that's a whole topic for another day, but I think just the, the forced diversity is, I think, what people are opposed to versus if it's just, like, the best actor for the the role. So we'll see what they, they come up with. No. But, yeah, with this last James Bond movie, it's still unreleased. I don't have high hopes for the franchise. 
in the novels is he is like his well known because like in the movies he's like this ward known secret spy. Like he's a secret spy, but everybody knows. Hey, that's that's double seven James Bond right over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel like that blows your cover immediately. Yeah, do, I do, know. Do, does do they uh, like in the in the stories? Do you remember if he like is like as like like has such a street cred, or do they like actually have him be more of like a secret agent? Yeah, I think that does come from the books because he Smirsh, the the organization that we find in Casino Royale, um, recur. I should have said that earlier. Like th- that's another thing that recurs throughout, mm. and his. His entanglements with Smirsh are a running thing. So if you're a Smirsh agent, you know who James Bond is yeah. because one of one of them has met him. So yeah, in the books, there are people who go, you know, he's he's in undercover somewhere and someone goes, oh, hey, it's James Bond. Mm. He's also, you know, telling everyone his name, which yeah. never really gets addressed. <laughs> Yeah, every time <laughs> Bond, James Bond, and like double, like, but it's like, so what is your code? Is your code name 007 or is your code name James Bond? Is your real name like Frank? You know, yeah, Billy <laughs> Jacobs. Yeah, sausage galore. Um, <laughs> sausage party. Yeah, and this is my wife, Pussy Galore. <laughs> I do like that he created his own drink. That's a that's a pretty cool move. Yeah, creating your own mm. drink. And just making people think it's a good idea to create your own cocktail, because he has. But again, isn't that kind of like an eight-year-old thing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> the thing I got in this book is he he goes on about he's like food, and he talks to Vesper like, "Oh, I just like ordering really, really nice food." Um, it's just this weird thing I have of like really wanting to eat stuff that tastes delicious. I don't like eating it's dirt. Really expensive. Yeah, there yeah. was that, there was that one that one scene when they had like three meals yeah. in one sitting, and he yeah. and he kind of talks to her. When it comes to the food and stuff, like, she's, I, I don't know, like, not that he's superior to her, but it's almost like he's humble bragging about his, uh, the way he eats and stuff. And it was like, you're a fucking secret agent. I mean, do we really need to hear about your fancy caviar and stuff? I don't think it's that important. Um, yeah. And then obviously he's a severe alcoholic and smokes at least, what, how many packs, I think it actually states how many packs a day and it was a ridiculous amount of cigarettes. I think he's on his 70th at one point. It, it was, yeah, it was like of the day, <laughs> seventy cigarettes a day. Yeah, yeah, because he's just constantly smoking, which is uh, and, obviously, and of course he he could run around and you know fight and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. just seventy cigarettes could run up a hill. Just because we're talking about the drinks, I do not think the movie version of Bond that switched to Heineken is a good move. <laughs> yeah, like I get the whole blatant sponsorship of Heineken, but James Bond ain't drinking no beer. He's a martini no. man. With his fancy vodka and his eight-year-old intellect of selecting which kind of... And if he was going to drink a beer, it wouldn't be Heineken. No, probably not. It'd probably be Stellatois. In this one, he's such a toff. Like, you know, he's talking about the the most expensive champagne and uh, an unknown brand of champagne. So posh it has no name or so posh even he doesn't know what it is. So, yeah, the idea that this Bond would be drinking Heineken, I think it would... He'd take a cyanide pill before he had a Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It didn't make any sense that they, uh, clearly corporate sponsorship. Also, I found that the gambling scene to be a little ridiculous when it got to the guy with the gun in his back. Yeah. Like, he just falls down. Why haven't we talked about this? Yeah. (laughs) Silly old Bond just (laughs) falling down at the table. This young guy just had a, you know, the the heat got to him or whatever. Had the vapors. The vapors. You know, you get on a good gambling streak. Sometimes you just completely collapse in your chair. 
and the guy that's standing behind you runs off. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Well, we haven't we haven't said the best bit, which is this is all prompted by someone walking up behind him as he's sitting at a gambling table, pushing a gun in between the cleft of his buttocks. Yeah. yeah. And basically saying, you know, I'll count to ten and then I'm gonna blow your ass off. Anywhere um, to shoot a man. <laughs> the I feel like that I mean it would hurt really bad, but that mm. I don't know if that would be fatal. <laughs> like I just that seems a very weird choice. That seems like that's the perfect time to have like the Hank Hill butt. Like <laughs> less chance of <laughs> less damage. Yeah. You, you, I don't know. See, I feel like if you had a big donkey, you would have uh, more meat to suck up the bullet. Um, <laughs> to be as scientific as possible. <laughs> yeah, I felt that was ridiculous. But you know what this book did? I, I mentioned it to you before. It actually made Baccarat not sound as boring as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Because in that classic <laughs> literature book club, they were telling me how he they talked about the Baccarat, and it was super boring. But... I he actually described it in a way where now I know how to play baccarat kind of like mm. I understand the rules I guess and I didn't really see like it didn't seem like he went over the top with the the, the rules and stuff of the, the baccarat they just you know they played the cards and kind of made it like a high stakes game and obviously he gets a a gun in the butt cheek which is a little ridiculous but it was an entertaining scene I didn't think it was that boring and I had nobody noticed that either. Like, they're surrounded yeah, by if people. Yeah, like, for millions of dollars. I feel like people would be crowded around. But it was, well, like, yeah. one in the morning. Well, no, but they talk about because uh, Visser and the U.S. guy, they were, like, up up top, like, mm-hmm. watching them. I think, like, they had a whole mm-hmm. crowd. Can we talk about the CIA agent and how he was completely useless? Hey, he gave him some extra money. Yeah, but he, he didn't notice the guy with the face. The, what was it, like, a cane with a gun in it or whatever? Like, Well, no, he's a dumb American. He's just got enough for money. <laughs> He was just over there. To... I mean, never mind the gun. What if you're like watching James Bond, knowing he's your guy, and just suddenly there's like an old guy whispering in his ear? Yeah, then, maybe never go mind over. seeing a gun. You'd be like, then, what's going on with that guy? If anything, if you didn't see the gun, it at least looked like like he, he has his finger in his ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe he just thought he likes that guy. Bond of thing. looks startled. <laughs> his lips quivering a little. Not a sweat. Your ass today, Bond, or balls tomorrow. (laughs) If you had to choose, ball smashing for an hour or bullet to the butthole. That's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, if we go by the Bond method, he did recover. He did recover, yeah. The testicles. Yeah. But it it definitely Uh, described, like, how he was all scarred down there. Like, he was very scarred in the nether region. So I'm thinking... It couldn't be pr- like so. After this, we just get like a lady goes with Bond and is like, "Oh my god, it's like a topographical map." <laughs> well, that's where they, that's where they die at the end of each stories because he has yeah. sex with them. They see his penis and they're like, "Ugh!" <laughs> they're like, well, fuck you then. Like if he was like with a blind chick and she's feeling around down there, <laughs> like Braille, who knows what that spells out? That's terrible. Um, no, no, scars are dashing. He's got a very dashing scrotum. <laughs> As character. (laughs) I I feel like at some point during that process, they would kind of suck up in you a little bit. But he's so masculine, that's the problem. Yeah. It just wouldn't. Yeah, just (laughs) Because he was enjoying it. I'm actually kind of surprised the thing didn't break against his testicles. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I had to answer that question, I I definitely would probably... I don't know, man. Versus one shot... Between the butt. Yeah. 
Because like he's you just shooting th- between. But what if the it's t- the spine? Then you might be paralyzed. Well, well, that's the thing. It is against the spine, so it's, ba- it's yeah, basically it's going to take out your ass and paralyze you. And let's not forget, the bullet could continue through your ass and take out your balls anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 that is very true. Yeah. So I, I would take the ball treatment and yeah. hope that I get Bond's look. Oh, and he. Or, a dashing scrotum. <laughs> and as we learned, after a certain point, it starts to feel good. Well, I'm going to say, what if, you, what if <laughs> yeah. you go through this harrowing experience of having your testicles smashed over and over, and in the movie, he was really <laughs> yeah. wailing that fucking thing. Yeah. What if you, you come to enjoy that? Now, That's your after, thing. Yeah, like, unbeknownst to you, that was a kink you never knew you had, and now after this, you need ladies to uh, smash your genitals with uh, heavy objects. Yeah. I guess there's yeah. worse things in this world. Still better than being paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. And he won the card game, so that was what, that was what was really important. So when the, when he won the card game and uh, kind of got the girl. Now, do you d- agree or disagree? Was she a bitch? Uh, no. She had a really Absolutely actually not, had no. good. She had good motivation yeah. for why yeah. she was a double agent. Yeah. It's because a man she loved was uh. Was he working for Smirsh, or was he, like, just indebted think, to them? I think he got captured. Captured? And yeah, she... he was an RAF pilot. He was Polish, and he was an RAF pilot, and he'd been captured. And I don't think she was... I think in the film, she's still in a relationship with him, kind of. Um, See, the, so film really versions, the film versions make the women characters so superficial that I feel like you almost forget about them after you yeah. watch the movie. Because every Bond movie I remember, I don't ever remember the ladies, like the love interest or, in this case, like a major character, but you almost kind of forget about the character because they don't really they care. They don't come off well. But I, I think that one, as far as film film girls, film Bond girls go, that one's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty low bar for Bond girls, to be fair. Didn't she jump out of a building or something at the end of that? No, she gets like trapped in an elevator that yeah. then sinks into Venice, believably. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she actually did have surprisingly good character motivations for why she. Actually, I thought the fact that she fell in love with James Bond was very, uh, not just cliche, but kind of stupid. Yeah. Because if she was in love with this Polish guy so much that she was willing to become a double agent to save his life, why would she really give a fuck about James Bond? But she, also, Bond is a dickhead. Yeah, he's a, a big dickhead. But mm. apparently he also has a big dickhead yeah. because even through the torture, he was able to perform. Well, because they do bring her in in the, in the room at the, you know, towards yeah. the end. So, you know, she, she saw that thing. Yeah. That mangled hunk of flesh and extra elbow and skin. And suddenly was... appeared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if it enlarged it? I mean... What if that would be? You think it would be swollen for a while? What if the actual way to enlarge your member is to bash it for an hour straight with with a rug beater? Would you go? And now you're a double O. (laughs) 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 Oh man. Okay. Well, we're about an hour in, so we should probably end this episode on that. Uh, James Bond. Definitely, I would say, worth the read for anybody who's... Even if you've never read spy fiction, but you're into... You know, you want to kind of get into the genre. I think going back to the classic James Bond would be a good start. Obviously, we have, like, the... What is this? Splinter Cell series and things like the more modern kind of uh, 
It, I don't know oh, the Tom like a, Clancy stuff. Yeah, like I was trying to think if Tom Clancy's actually considered like spy thrillers. Uh, I mean, I think he dabbles in all yeah. those little kind of yeah. subgenres of that kind of stuff. See, when it comes to like this kind of fiction stuff, I'm definitely more the Raymond Chandler noir detective. Yeah. Versus like the spy, I don't really care about the spy stuff too much. But, like I said, this was a fun story, and I would actually read some more James Bond books. Um, I I would recommend checking them out at least if you were uh. If you like the movies, it seems like, you know, natural progression. And they're all pretty short, I do, be- I do believe. Yeah, like, I mean, so. this is what, like 150 pages or yeah. something? Yeah. Right? Um, I didn't mm. tell you, uh, I told Spencer, the ebook version I got was terrible. Mine was fine. Oh, really? Yeah, I got I got the same one he did, but for some reason, mine was only $3 and his was 7 So, I downloaded it. And every, I would say every four paragraphs, it had a big hyperlink that took up like half the page. And that was really annoying. But um, oh all the French in the book, whatever formatting they use, the symbols were changed into either spaces or just like random, like random symbols. Like, you know, like the accents on the letters and stuff, they were changed into weird symbols, like a big square or something. So it completely messed up any French. Like I couldn't, I just couldn't read it. It was terrible, yeah. so uh, I thought that was just uh, the edition, but apparently Spencer got the good edition, even yeah. though it was the same one I got, so I don't, I don't know. I, got I think mine off. was vintage. I should have got a physical mine copy. Mine was all right, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, I'm sure you could probably find a collection with all of them that's not too expensive. Well, see, that's the thing, was I wanted to get the ebook for cheap, because if I liked James Bond, I was probably yeah. going to buy just the collection of James Bond at some point, because they had, it was like $100-something, you'd get the whole... E-collection. Yeah, or something like that, so... That might that might be worth looking into. I don't over here. Some of those might actually be public domain now. Well, yeah. even Casino Royale is actually public domain. You can get on like Project Gutenberg. You can get a free copy. I just couldn't get it on my Kindle. Yeah, it was on my phone, and I don't want to read it on my phone. Always download free sample. Yeah, check out check out the formatting. That was mm. my downfall. Yeah, three bucks. I felt like I couldn't miss. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Was it the the King Arthur? Was that an ebook we got? Yeah. I'm glad we got the ebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd be mad if I spent the extra $5 on the, the physical print copy. Anyway, if you folks want... Are you planning on doing uh, on the Eerie this podcast any James Bond stuff in the future? Because you've been doing Shakespeare um, lately. Yeah, Shakespeare. I've, I've got our episode coming out soon that you we, you recorded um, with me a, a while back. Which is King um, Arthur. So, which is King Arthur. Um, so quite a lot of Arthur-y, Shakespeare-y stuff. Um, no immediate plans for James Bond, but I might do. Now that you've started me off, I might reread a few of the others. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember re- I really enjoying some of the later ones. And I think Live and Let Die was like peak. But I might have got that wrong. He I might did- be confusing that with the film, because that's that's one of my favorite films. I think it was the film you're confusing with. He, yeah, he does know how to make a title. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He definitely comes up with some good titles. You're right. I think it is the names. And I think even though now it would be um, lambasted for cultural appropriation, I think what you said, Spencer, earlier about the world thing yeah. is a huge part of the appeal. Because as a kid, see, even the cartoon semi-racist or full-on racist <laughs> version of Jamaica or Italy or the States or whatever was part of the appeal. And then all of the tech and characters that sort of came with that. I suppose it's the same as like getting, I don't know, toy sets that are built around yeah. the theme or that kind of thing. That, that was the way you sort of made sense as well as, as a kid. 
So I think, I think that was what was really satisfying about them. So he is really good. I think he is good at that sort of aspect of world building of sort of, you know, this, this is my big bad and I'll build this world around him mm-hmm. and um, everything that comes with it. Well, when we had Nicholas Obergon on the podcast, he told us mm. that uh, because he wrote Blue Light Yokohama, which was set in Japan, and he actually went to Japan to, you know, obviously for the research of the novel, he was telling mm. us that publishers now actually look for stories that are set in what they consider exotic places Man. for the audience you're writing for. So he was writing for a British and then an American audience. And uh, obviously Japan would be considered like more of an exotic location. And I'm wondering if back in the James Bond time, well, I don't even have to wonder, obviously, if you're reading about like, you know, Paris and different yeah. places as an American, that would kind of be interesting to you. And even if you're English, where it would be easier to travel to those places, that'd still be... And imagine it'd still be difficult, Yeah, like, like especially right after, you know, 10 to 20 years after World War II, going to, like, France and stuff would probably wouldn't be the same experience. So having, you know, high fluent casinos and, uh, you know, the, these characters coming from, like, the Mediterranean and all this kind of stuff would be exotic. And that would probably bring something... That would make people want to read because they that's things they don't normally get in their fiction. Like we talked about mm. before, how Moby Dick, now all that whaling talk in Moby Dick is just terrible. Yeah. You don't want to fucking, like, half of that book is almost unreadable. He's like, I don't care. I don't give a shit. I have Wikipedia. I can look this up. But back then, you know, people didn't really, if you weren't in whaling, you weren't a whaler, you probably didn't know about that stuff. It might have actually been almost educational. Like, you would actually like that. But um, if you folks, terrible segue, if you <laughs> folks want to, uh, Catch up on some, you know, classic literature, uh, Shakespearean era stuff, different things like that. Head on over to, uh, do you guys have an actual website for you read this? No. Just the podcast? No. <laughs> You're slacking, man. You're slacking. Yeah. Well, you are on social media. Though. Do you have a Facebook? I believe you do. Yeah, I know well, you got Twitter. All, all the big three, social media, all Twitter, Instagram. Read and- this. Yeah. So go to ear read this. That's ear, not here. Ear read this uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Definitely a lot of great uh, podcasts on there too. I've uh, listened to quite a bit of those. Also, by the way, sir, you know what? I'll bring this up off air. Um, anyway, if you want to check out our fiction, which we've been <laughs> publishing different stories and whatnot, you go to drunkenpenwriting.com. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is drunkenpenwriting. Also, YouTube, which we've. Maybe we'll make some videos. Just uh, quit bringing it up. <laughs> and Twitter at Drunk Pen Writing. Why don't you create a video, man? You're the face people want to see. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, once again, Ash, thanks for joining us. This thanks for having me. Yes, sir.